Well, one announcement that I forgot to mention, uh, on the first and third Sundays of every month, we have a little reception right at the close of our service. It's called Coffee with the Pastors, and so if you are new or visiting with us, I'd love the opportunity just to to meet you and to learn your name and answer any questions that you might have, and so that's right at the close of our service today uh, in our library. So just right out the sanctuary doors and immediately to your right. If you have your Bibles, you can get those out or turn your, point your electronic devices to the Wi-Fi, uh, if that's how you interact with Scripture. And we're going to look uh, into parts of Paul's third missionary journey. And so you will uh, find that the third missionary journey starts uh, towards the end of chapter 18 um, and goes through 19 and 20. How many of you by show of hands, have ever fallen asleep at an inopportune or embarrassing time? Now, those of you who nod off in church, you better put your hand in the air. (laughs) Because I see lots of things standing up here. I know who you are. I, I remember when I was in high school, I went to take my scholastic aptitude test, the SAT test, And it was an early morning check-in time. And I, my job um, kept me at uh, work until two o'clock in the morning. I was closing, and so I show up to take this test. I did have what I needed. I had my number two pencils and the appropriate calculator. And I check in for the test, and it's in two parts, and you cannot get up from your seat until the intermission. And then you would come back and take the second part of the test. So I think that I finished the first part of the test in what I thought was record time. And I'm looking around and everybody's still filling in their little dots with their pencils. And there's still, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes left in this section. And I was not really engaged with test taking at the moment, so I laid my head down on the desk like this, and the next thing that I remember, uh, the second half of the test is starting. And somebody had shoved the second half uh, like under my arm. And I'm looking around at the people, I'm like, you didn't wake me up at intermission? What is going on? (laughs) That was not a good time to fall asleep. At least I had a class in college And it was an afternoon class, you know, one of those ones that happen right after lunch, so you get to eat, and then you go to class, and, uh, you know, the professor kind of drones on and on, and, you know, your eyelids just feel heavy, and she would go out once in a while. And one day, the professor asked her after class, hey, would it be a good idea if I brought you a pillow to my class? And... (laughs) There's moments like that where we just kind of fall asleep, we're drowsy, and boom. Well, Luke talks to us a little bit about being a drowsy Christian uh, in the book of Acts, specifically on this third missionary journey. The third missionary journey begins, Paul has spent a little bit of time after his second one back in uh, Antioch, 
which is the sending church for all three of the missionary journeys. And we're told that he uh, leaves from Antioch and he goes back around and visits several of the places where he has practiced ministry, where churches have launched, where there's believers that he loves and he cares for and he wants to invest his life into them and in his, his work and his, his, what he has gained from the Lord, he wants, to, he wants to share. And we're told that he goes around and he's, it, the phrase that Luke likes to use is strengthening the disciples. Well, that, that speaks to my heart because that's, kind of what I feel called to do is to strengthen the disciples. I think the first time that phrase is used in the uh, book of Acts is back in chapter 14. I think it's verse 22. And if you look at the Greek version of that, it suggests that not only was Paul strengthening disciples, the way that Luke tells us is he was strengthening the souls of the disciples. He cared deeply for their spiritual health. And so as he's going on all of these missionary journeys, he visits all of the places that he has been so that he can breathe life, that he can teach these people how to continue on, to persevere, to find strength and encouragement. Because quite frankly, the Christian walk is hard when it runs into the culture that we face on a daily basis. So Paul is out and about doing that and He comes to Ephesus. Ephesus is a huge metropolis at the time, kind of a, you know, one of the main um, points in the Roman Empire, uh, very, um, well, let's just say very worldly place. Uh, Temple of Artemis is there, so there's... um, the worship of Artemis, that was like the the main place to worship that goddess. Uh, It was a social, cultural center of the region. Uh, The imperial cult was uh, also very strong, and so there were huge political ties in Ephesus. And so this is a really hard place to crack into. And the way that Luke lays out the beginnings of this third missionary journey is uh, Paul stops at those churches to strengthen the disciples, and then he arrives in Ephesus, and what he finds is that there is a a really intense, a very strong, demonic, spiritual hold on the area and the people there. And so when when we are reading through uh, some of Acts, we come across some stories that well, we might just put in the flat-out bizarre category. So, but we do have some reference points in our own culture. So there's when Paul is in Ephesus, it says that he was uh, given the ability and he healed lots of people with the miraculous power of the Lord. And those people were so superstitious that they would they would have handkerchiefs that would brush up against Paul and they would take that handkerchief and they would go and heal other people. That's kind of, kind of weird, isn't it? That doesn't, we don't have much of a frame of reference unless you stay up into the wee hours of the morning and you listen to the TV preachers who just say, hey, just touch your TV and you too can be healed. We have reference points in our culture, but that's just a little bit odd. Then there's the story of the Seven sons of Sceva. 
Well, these boys, uh, they think that they know something. They've heard something. Maybe they've witnessed Paul heal somebody. Maybe they've seen Paul cast out demons in the area. And, and these boys are going around and they're trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches about. So you've got to get it all in one sentence. They're not, they're not really claiming that they're casting out demons in Jesus' name. They're, they're casting out demons in the person who Paul had, they've heard Paul preach about. So they run into this one guy who is possessed, and the, and the demon says, well, I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? I mean, that's embarrassing if a demon says, who are you, when you're trying to cast him out? And then Luke tells us that this guy who was possessed by this demon, he rises up and he beats all seven of them down. And they left naked and wounded. Now, my question is, why did Luke have to give us two descriptors, naked and wounded? I mean, if you're in a fight and you get your clothes beat off you, I'm guessing you're probably wounded. It's like the first episode ever of Naked and Afraid. They just they leave. <laughs> There's just some bizarre stuff in this missionary journey. There are two stories that I want to look at. They kind of bookend parts of this missionary journey. And, and the first one that I want to look at is, is towards the end. It's in... Um, Chapter 20, in, uh, we're going to start in verse 7 to 12 here. Uh, read 7 to 12 here in, in a second. But I want to look at these two episodes, and I, I think that Luke is pointing something out to us that we need to be cognizant of now. It's obvious in Paul's first missionary journey, his second one, and now in his third one, Luke consistently shows us that there are some significant points of adversity as Paul tries to share the gospel and, and reach people. And when he arrives in places, he normally goes and starts in the Jewish synagogues. And after a time, there's usually a huge contingent that just says, you know, we're not buying the Jesus story, and they reject the message. And Luke is careful to point out that they also reject Paul himself. And so there's adversity as he begins and trying to reach first to the Jews and, and then to the Gentiles. And, and then he oftentimes faces um, demonic forces and, and the spiritual climate of the area. And when the gospel starts taking root, it, it challenges the political structure of the day. Because if you are calling on Jesus as Lord, what you're saying to somebody in the Roman Empire who is politically connected um, with Caesar. If, if you're saying that Jesus is the king, what you're saying is Caesar is not the king. And you can get a lot of pushback politically for that. There's, there's stories where the gospel starts overturning the, the uh, pagan worship. In chapter 19, a long section, it talks about an uprising that happens because there are some artisans that are really upset that 
Christianity is taking root and the people are, they're not buying the souvenir little statues anymore and it's creating an economic hardship in the community. There's all sorts of adversity that Paul faces as he goes out and spreads the gospel, but now that the church is gaining prominence, there's more and more people involved, there's also adversity that bubbles up from within the church with church people. Imagine that. (laughs) Issues with church people. And so we get here... um, to these two stories, and, and Luke is pointing out a big problem that wasn't just an issue then, but it's something that we deal with now. It's called Christian narcolepsy. Spiritual drowsiness, apathy, disinterest. You know, I'm sort of a Christian, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'll show up to church, but, you know, investing in this whole relationship thing with Jesus and having it change my life. Uh, we're a little wishy-washy sometimes. It's a hard topic to address because we're very sensitive. And um, we don't like it when we get called out on things. But Luke gives this to us in the text. So let's just read it, how, how, how Luke gives it to us. He starts in uh, the little episode that we want to read first, chapter 20, verse 7. It says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because um, he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. That's a long sermon. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting, Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate, and after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. That almost fits into the bizarre story category too. Would would you say that would be fair? This sleep-deprived kid, you know, sleep deprivation, that's a huge problem in our culture where a society that's constantly going and going and going and we get drowsy, we get tired and sometimes it's just hard to stay awake, right? Right? Everybody awake in here? Wake up! Come on! All right, maybe everybody's awake now. Maybe we should, um, you know, when, the, when, the, when it gets a little warm in here, And maybe the preacher goes on and on and on. The conditions are just right to fall asleep. Maybe we should have a little check-out station at the back that has pillows and teddy bears. And maybe we could have a reserved seating section for the drowsy ones. 
At the last church we served, somebody had brought in a lazy boy recliner right into the sanctuary. I'm, I'm not joking. For some people, their faith, Christian walk, church have become a place of slumber. When we, and when we sleep, we're kind of dead to the world, right? Just, we have no idea what's going on around us. And let me tell you, this place, this sanctuary ought to be a place that is alive and awake! Right? How can we sing, my chains fell off, my heart was free, and not say, hallelujah, Lord, thank you? Wake up, sleepy Christian. Wake up. This is a place that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus on a regular basis. This ought to be a place that helps people awaken from spiritual slumber that we sometimes slip into. You know, sleep and drowsiness is a metaphorical way of talking about spiritual negligence or moral laxness. Uh, Drowsiness may have been a way of pointing to some spiritual deficiency. The story is, you know, the story of Eutychus, it's kind of, it's, it's humorous for us. We can, I'm thankful that Luke would give us something where we can laugh at because we can imagine ourselves as poor Eutychus who's up there in the window and he's just, you know, kind of nodding off. His spirit was willing, but, you know, his flesh was weak. It kind of reminds me of the disciples when Jesus had asked them to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane the, the night that, that he was arrested and, and Jesus went off to pray, and, and Jesus is just in total anguish. He says, hey, pray for me, boys. And he comes back, and they're just zonked out. The spirit was willing. The flesh was weak. It's these sorts of things I truly believe they're, they're challenges that are issued to each and every one of us to examine ourselves for places where we might be spiritually sleepy, where we might have become apathetic, where, you know, we are sort of disinterested. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, do we, why, are we, why do we go to church? Is it for religious entertainment? Are, are we looking for exciting things to consume and things that will keep our interest and meet all of the needs that we have? And when we don't feel like we're getting all of our needs met, do we start to complain about it? Do we get bored? Do we get drowsy and fall asleep? We just read this story about this this young guy who fell asleep while Paul was preaching. And Paul was going on. He uncorked one here. I've gotten carried away a couple times in my years here. Some of you are quick to point that out to me uh, every time that it happens. I'll tell you, I'm not really sorry. Um, But I've never gone to midnight. You have to give me credit for that, right? I I mean, I'm up for it. 
if you are, somebody better go fire up the kitchen and make us some food because it's going to be a long day. Paul's preaching. He's on a roll. He's traveled a long way to be at this church in Troas. And he cares about them. And he wants to encourage them. He wants to strengthen their souls. And every little bit that he has inside of him, he wants to get inside of them because he loves them and he cares for them so deeply that he's passionate about feeding them and strengthening their souls. He wants them to get this glimpse of Jesus and what it means to follow him faithfully. And he's given it everything he's got. And, and maybe Paul is, I don't know, maybe he's somewhere towards the end of Leviticus. And this young man, Eutychus, who, by the way, Eutychus in the Greek means lucky. So his name is Lucky. Lucky is sitting up in the window, and Paul is going on and on and on, maybe in Leviticus like that, and it might be warm in the room, and maybe he's sitting in the window here, you know, he's trying to get a breath of fresh air, but his head keeps nodding, and Paul keeps talking, and pretty soon, bam, he falls asleep out the window, three stories down, wham, he's dead. A few ushers run out to, you know, pronounce him dead, I guess he's not so lucky after all. <laughs> or is he? See, this church service that they're sitting in is about to become a funeral. Somebody just died in church. But instead, it becomes a victory celebration. Because Paul, he pauses his sermon long enough to go resuscitate Lucky. Lays himself over lucky. He says, don't worry, he's alive. So now it's a celebration of life for this young Eutychus here. It's a living metaphor of finding new life in Christ. When we repent and we return, return to him and we call out on the name of Jesus as Lord and the Holy Spirit fills us and begins to transform us, I mean, that's a metaphor of something that was dead now being found new life. Did you notice? Did you notice in the story that, that Luke was really careful to tell us that it was the first day of the week? You know what happens on the first day of the week? In his first book, the Gospel of Luke, on the first day of the week, that's Resurrection Day. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and here they are, gathered for this service. Lucky falls down dead. Paul resuscitates him. It's a picture of the resurrection. Wake up. Wake up, sleepy Christian. Wake up. But Paul pauses his sermon long enough to, to go help this boy out. And he's like, don't worry, he's alive. And it's like, in one breath he says that, and then in the next breath is, as I was saying, you know, turn your pages to uh, the book of Numbers now. And, and the sermon goes on. They, they go back upstairs and they continue church. They have a bite to eat. They celebrate the Lord's Supper. They celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then Paul continues on. 
But that's sort of how church works, isn't it? Look around the room at how many stories of death and new life there are sitting in this place. Every one of us has our own story, and the church goes on because we are a place that celebrates the new life that we find in Christ. That's why we gather together. The other story that I thought fit well with this was back sort of at the beginning of the missionary journey when, when Paul first arrives in Ephesus, where he, he spent three years with the people in Ephesus. At the beginning of chapter 19, it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. So Paul enters into Ephesus, and he runs into these disciples, and he assumed at the outset they advertised themselves as, as being disciples, as being believers, and, and they themselves assumed that they were disciples, that they were part of this new kingdom of God movement, but something in their behavior, something in their speech, something in their demeanor, Paul or Luke doesn't tell us exactly what it was that Paul observed, but at some point Paul is just looking at him like, it doesn't add up. You say you're a Christian, but you're not living anything like what a follower of Christ ought to live. And so Paul, you know, he's kind of a pretty upfront guy, would you say? He noticed there's no fruit, no transformation, so he calls him out. He asks him about it. He says, uh, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's a way of asking are you really a Christian? Oh, that's a question right there. To call somebody who's a professing believer, to, to call him out and just flat out say, are you really a Christian? Are you an authentic believer? Or are you just kind of nominally associated with this whole movement because you think there's something to it? I love the boldness. I, I love Paul's heart. I love his concern for these people. You know, we ought to be able to ask questions like this today. But we're just a people who take offense so quickly these days. If you even lovingly question something or, or call something out, we often get the response, why are you so judgmental? Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Why are you judging me? Have anybody got that? Yes. Well, actually, what the Bible says, what the Bible is referring to is this deeply rooted condemning people from experiencing 
the, the gifts of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. To judge somebody in the way that the Bible says, don't judge them this way, is, it's like you're saying, you're, you are condemning them and saying, you are so far gone that you can never experience God's grace. That's the kind of judgment that we're talking about. We ought to be able to ask questions in the body of Christ, in a loving and respectful way, we should be able to ask each other about certain things. We should be able to ask people who profess Christianity but aren't living it, hey, what's up? What's going on? Do you need some help? If you're living contrary to the gospel and are, are lacking in understanding, you should be open to correction so that you can grow in the spirit and be transformed because that's what it's all about. Th these believers that Paul ran into are what we would maybe put in the category of cultural Christians or nominal Christians. So, so they were kind of Christian in name only, people who claimed to be Christian, but their, their life, you just look at it, and it would suggest something totally different. Maybe they do religious things, show up to church, they go through the motions, and when they, when they think they're supposed to, and, and, um, but uh, you know, if you look at their life, they just live really worldly lives and are inwardly just hard and unrepentant. They appear to be clean on the outside, but are filthy on the inside, as Jesus would say. There's no spiritual hunger or desire for God or, or finding joy in, in reading the Bible and, and, and hearing for God speak to them through the word. People who are full of hypocrisy and deception. And Paul calls it out because he knows that if he is to have any success whatsoever in sharing the true, full gospel in Ephesus, that he needs to ask him about it. Because when we practice Christianity nominally, we compromise the church's witness to the full power that is in the gospel message. Because Paul knew that if he went to these folks' neighbors and said, hey, let me tell you about this Jesus who can be your Lord and Savior who will extend you grace and mercy and forgiveness and will transform your life into something that looks like this, they're going to say, well, wait a second. You're telling me that I have to change these ways, but look at these people over here claim to be Christians. Well, there's doubt, there's question. You understand this, right? Paul knows this intuitively. I've got to call this out when I see it because I know that the true gospel, it will be harder to preach that into this culture. It sounds like today, does it not? Hmm. That's a hard, harsh-sounding message. But it's really a fact. 
things that we need to pay attention to. Paul asks these disciples, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? He didn't question their sincerity. He didn't scold them. But he offered them the full picture of the gospel. He tells them that they need to put their full trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. He he tells them that they need to profess Jesus as their Lord, that he alone is the one who can save. They said, well, we 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 didn't know this. We didn't even know that there was such a thing as the, the Holy Spirit. They didn't know about Acts chapter 2 and the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had been poured out on all people who would call on the name of the Lord. So Paul lovingly and respectfully, respectfully he asks them about it. And he introduces the gospel to them and, and they believe it. And not only do they believe it, but they receive it. And they call on Jesus as Lord. And Paul places his hand on them and there's a beautiful moment of prayer and the Holy Spirit fills them and begins to transform their lives. Wake up, sleepy Christian. Wake up. Lucky, the spiritually sleepy one, succumbed to his drowsiness and he died, but he was given a second chance at life. And the church goes on. Another story to celebrate. Maybe this is how church is supposed to be, you think? A place full of people who once were dead but are now alive. I love how Will Williman talks about this. He says the resurrection of Jesus means not only that Jesus is loose, on the move among us, but it also means that we can get loose too. Something about this God that just loves to wake people up, shake people up, and raise people up. Everybody has their own story. You know how you were once dead and are now alive. Something that we ought to celebrate each and every day. So many stories of how we were asleep, but now we're awake. I don't, I don't want to ask you today if you believe. That there is a certain amount of head knowledge, things that we would believe. I, I look around this room, I seen a lot of you here quite frequently. If you flat out didn't believe, you wouldn't keep showing up. What I really want to know, like my brother Paul, is have you put your full trust in Jesus? That's, that's what he wants to know. That's what drives him. That's what compels him to visit all of these churches to strengthen the souls of the disciples everywhere he goes. He wants to know that his people have their full trust 
in Jesus as their Savior? Do you let him direct your steps? Are you excited to get up and dig into his word and to spend moments of prayer? Those are the things I believe that he finds important to encourage and to strengthen in his people. What I want for you is in those moments where you might just be spiritually drowsy. To wake up, experience that new life in Christ. Wake up, sleepy Christian. Wake up. And people of God said, Amen. Amen. I want to pray over us. It's a good time to, to do that. If you, um, would, would you stand with me for prayer? If you're just feeling drowsy, maybe in a state of Christian narcolepsy where you just find yourself nodding off every so often, one, I, I want you to know that's not abnormal. It'll happen. Sometimes when it gets warm in the room, when you've been working long and hard and you're just confronted with the culture, we wear out. But I also want you to know that there's refreshment in the Holy Spirit to revive you, to restore you, to redeem you. And I just want to encourage you to continually put your full trust in Jesus. And if that's something that you need to pray about, this, these altars up front are a wonderful place to do that. In the context of a moment of worship, it's, it's not that there's anything special about these altars. They're just things that we have constructed. But they are very meaningful places to meet with the Lord and do what I say, do, do business with God. And, and if you need to bring him some things, you can slip out as I'm praying and come kneel at these altars, meet with the Lord. If you feel like you need to come, come ahead and do that now. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and I dare say that each and every one of us have moments that we need to confess that we've become a bit drowsy in our faith. Maybe we've taken on a laissez-faire attitude and we're a bit apathetic and disinterested in participating in your kingdom work or attending to daily disciplines of being in communication with you, Lord. What, whatever it might be, there's times where we just get sleepy and we fall asleep. So we confess that to you and we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. And we thank you 
that there is new life as we call out to you in trust. And Lord, I, I pray this morning, I just sense that there's some people who have never put their full weight, their full trust in you as their Lord and Savior. And whatever the barriers are in this moment, Lord, would you pull them down? And speak to our hearts. And fill us with your Holy Spirit, the one that revives and refreshes and restores us, convicts us, but forgives us. Calls us out, but then gently encourages us and leads us and guides us. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would be fully alive and awake in you. And together, this church would be a beacon of light in this community, one that is alive and awake and going out and sharing the gospel. Lord, I thank you for this morning and the words that you have for us, even when they're ones that are pretty challenging. And call us out. Thank you for your presence here, moving amongst us, the ways that you are speaking to each and every one of us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be